0: Morning, decided church. I hope everyone is doing very well. I am very excited to preach to you the very last sermon of our current sermon series, Wells. It's sad to see it go. Wells Part Two, it's been a lot of fun. Not Wells, W H A L E S. I know I say it like that, but it's Wells. W-E-L-L-S. I'm sorry, my accent. I can't figure that word out. But anyway, if you have your Bibles with you today, we're going to be in 2 Samuel. That's right, we're going to the life of David, verse uh, chapter 23, verses 13 through 17. So we're only covering four verses today. Hopefully it won't take me too long. Uh, I'm thinking under 30 minutes, probably not. But anyway, if you guys are note takers and you like notes, um, the the name for this sermon is going to be Bible Ninjas. That's right, Bible Ninjas. And I hope to kind of under, uh, get you to understand why I named it that. But uh, to begin off, I wanted to start with a question. Is anyone here listening l- just absolutely love obstacle courses? Yeah. Obstacle courses are so much fun. And I and I think it's, it's, for at least for humanity in general, I think it's something innately built within us to deal with obstacle courses. I mean, think of all the cool TV shows on TV right now that happen to do deal with obstacle courses. You got America, American Ninja Warrior, right? These ripped people going through all the cool things, climbing on rocks that are upside down, going up the ropes. I mean, so many cool things. And you have... Um, Back in the day, for you older folks, you got American Gladiators, you know what I'm saying, back in the 80s. I mean, I could still go back and watch That, that stuff is so good. And then, of course, you have the newer version, if you will, hosted by Dwayne the Rock Johnson, the Titan Games. It's really basically a, a revamp or a revival of American Gladiators. Um, and then, I don't know if you guys noticed this, and this is why I thought about this this week. There's this new show coming out. I think it's already come out. New season is coming soon, called Ultimate Tag. It's like playing tag, but with like this obstacle course around you. I mean, it's that super weird. I don't think I would play it, but I think if there's anything to make tag better, it's to put an obstacle course in the midst of it. Um, But anyway, and then you have those other shows, right? Like Wipeout. Everyone knows Wipeout where, you know, the, the shows I mentioned before, you have these super ripped athletic people doing all the obstacles, doing all the things. Well, in Wipeout, they just have the Joe Schmoes of the world. Uh, trying to do them and they just get wrecked time and time. Literally, it's called Wipeout because that's exactly what they do. Literally, you watch it to make fun of people going through this obstacle course and they are not equipped to do it. And I was thinking to myself, perhaps for a lot of us as Christians, we find ourselves more within the wipeout stage than we do within the American Ninja Warrior. Some of us, most of us as Christians, if we're honest with ourselves, our life really is an obstacle course. And instead of us being able to be equipped and being able to to do the things we need to do in order to get through this obstacle course of life, we find ourselves wiping out time and time again. There's something so exhilarating about watching people compete in these things. And yet, have you ever wondered if God watches us intently exactly the same? On this obstacle course that we call life. And what's really cool is in this specific passage, there's a story of three mighty men. These three mighty men of David's warriors. And I would say that these are the Bible ninjas if you will and i hope you see that as we approach the text today but really uh my thought here is if you and i as people uh, as christians if we're going to be able to navigate and get through this obstacle course of life we're going to have to be people who draw from the well that god has given us and i hope to show you it here in the passage but uh before we continue on let's stand and read the word of god together We're going to read verses 13 through 17. I'm going to pray, and then we will continue in the sermon. Uh, This is what the Word of God says in 2 Samuel chapter 23, starting in verse 13. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. It is, is it not the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? and David would not drink it. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word, and and as we go through this obstacle course of life, Father, help us be able to draw from the wells that you have given us, that we might get through it well, that we might not wipe out every single time something new is thrown our way, but we want to be equipped, and we know that you've given us the ability to be equipped through your word and through believers beside us and through your church. And so, Father, would you just help us be able to see what you have for us here in this scripture today? We thank you for the opportunity we have just to worship you, not only through song, uh, but through this sermon. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alrighty, uh, before we begin, I just want to give you guys a little bit of context because we're just hopping into a random story uh, in a random book of the Bible, we're not really going, it's a topical sermon series. You don't have a lot of background here, so I want to give you a little bit of information uh, as far as what's going on here in this story. Let's start off in verse 13. It gives us a little bit of a hint of information. It says this in verse 13. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. So this story is actually taking place shortly after David's anointing as king in Jerusalem. He had just been anointed as king. He had just been put as king of Israel. So really, uh, David is really in this story, even though he finds himself in a cave, if you will, in a valley, he had just come off an actual, legitimate, mountaintop, a true mountaintop experience of God's grace. And, but what's, what's funny is, As soon as that mountaintop experience happens, David finds himself in a cave. His circumstance had changed drastically within moments from one chapter to the next. And if there's anything that we know as Christians is that's kind of how it works for us. We all could be having these mountaintop experiences. We all experience the anointing of God. And yet we also always experience shortly after that, normally, the caves of Agilums in our lives. And sooner rather than later, we find ourselves back in a pit. And what's funny is David actually goes to a place that he's very familiar with. This cave is is something that is within within the history of David. He finds himself hiding in this same cave back in 1 Samuel chapter 22 when running from King Saul. And so it feels like for him I Think about it as King David Back when he was running from King Saul um, he, he was running from somebody Who he had been completely faithful to And he's hiding and he's scared He doesn't know what's happening. And that's where a lot of the Psalms come from. When you read the book of Psalms, it's usually where David's in, is in retreat mode. And when he's running away from the Lord's anointed, the, the King at that time. And so when he gets into this situation right after his anointing, he goes to the only place where he knows to go and that's to the cave of Agilom. And so really in his mind, think about what he's thinking. He's like, man, all the progress that has been made since first Samuel 23 has been lost. We've, we've regressed. I'm exactly right Back where I started. As a matter of fact, it's even worse than before. Now I'm the king. Not only am I the king, and not only am I hiding in this cave, but now his own hometown have been taken captive by the enemy. His own hometown. The town of Bethlehem. And David, he's experiencing this obstacle course aspect of life. And what happens to David next in these next verses? is a common occurrence for all of us. When we find ourselves, one moment we might find ourselves on a mountaintop experience with God, the next moment we find ourselves in the valley, and what we do is we do exactly what David does. We long for the past. We long, he longs for his past. He, he longs for things to go back to normal. Let's look at it in verse 14 through 15. It says, At that time David was in the stronghold, that is the cave, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. And this is what it says in verse 15. David longed for water and said, that, said, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. See, one thing that we should know going into this text is that we know that David's longing wasn't actually because he was thirsty, but his longing for the well of Bethlehem must have been something deeper. Think about his childhood, right? Growing up in Bethlehem, having uh, he was a shepherd of his own sheeps, sheep. And this would have been a very familiar place for him because guess what? As the shepherd, this would have been the well which, where he would water his flock. Not only that, but this is where David grew up his whole childhood. He was born in Bethlehem. Perhaps he had fond memories of his mother, Or his family, who would have had to constantly, every single day, go there in order to get the water they needed for the day. He was longing for his old life. And isn't it funny that you and I, as Christians, we do exactly the same. When we move from mountaintop experience into the valley, into the cave of agilums of our lives, we long for our old life. See, for some of us, we long for our old sinful lives. Just as Israel longed to return to Egypt, return to slavery, so some of us, when we become Christians, when we have that salvation moment with Christ, and then we get into the, the pit, and we get into the, into the despair, and in the cave of agilums of our lives, what happens is we want to go back to our sin, we want to go back to the, to the comfort and the ease that was there. For some of us, though, when we long for our old life, it's not the sinful lives we long for, but it's... We, we, we're longing for the ease and comfort we once experienced in peace. We want the communion back with God. We want that mountaintop experience. And I find myself doing this specifically now in light of corona, in lighting of, uh, of the political climate we live in. I constantly see myself saying like, man, I wish we could just go back. Back to when things were normal, back to when I could approach and hug people and talk to people without thinking twice about it. Now I feel like I can't say anything to anybody because I don't know what their thoughts on are on masks or no masks. I don't know if they're okay with my son going up to their kid in the store. What will they do? What will they say? I just, I long for us to return to a moment of comfort and ease. And yet I find myself in this Corona season in a cave of Agilum, if you will. And so I long, not for the sinful life like some of us might, and we always go through seasons where we long for the sinful lives that we, we l- were left behind in following Christ, but sometimes we just long for ease and for comfort. And, and unfortunately, if we know anything about the Word of God, if we know anything about the Christian life, is we're not called to ease, we're not called to comfort, we're called to dangerous, we're called to the caves. There's always going to be a valley of Rephaim after the mountaintop experience of Jerusalem. That's where David was anointed, is in Jerusalem. And this cave of Adilam is actually directly in the middle of the two, between Jerusalem and between Bethlehem. And so what happens next? David finds himself crying out to the Lord, longing for this old his old life, longing for, the, for when things were easier, longer, longing for when things were going his way, longing for the anointing, and he finds himself in the cave, and this is what happens. So at verse 16, and so the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines and drew water from the well near the gates of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. I'm going to stop there. We'll pick up the rest of that verse there, but I just want to, recapitulate a little bit of this. See, what's funny here is is I know that in Scripture this specific statement is only given in one sentence here, but this idea of these three mighty men breaking into the Philistine lines and drawing water from this well would have been a feat. As a matter of fact, I'm surprised that Hollywood hasn't tried to make money off of this story because if there's any obstacle, of course, that would have been overwhelming. If there was anything that would have been able to hold these mighty men back, it would have been breaking into camp, not being noticed in order to grab water from a well. That, is, that takes time. I mean, you got to drop the bucket all the way down and all the way back up. That th- This is a huge feat. And not to mention that there was a 12-mile 12, 12 journey from Adilam to Bethlehem. I mean, these Think of all the things that these soldiers, these mighty warriors would have had to dodge in order to pull this off. It's only given one sentence in Scripture, and I believe because the focal point of Scripture is the Lord Almighty. It doesn't matter what, it's not about man's accomplishments. It's not about what these three mighty men, this story isn't about what these three mighty men did. That's why it's only one sentence, but nonetheless, this was a major feat. And then what happens when they bring, and this is probably why, by the way, Hollywood hasn't made it, hasn't made it a story, hasn't tried to make money off of it, because the ending is kind of anticlimactic, if you will, right? They risk their lives, they risk their well-being for a friend, for their king, for their, for their compadre, if you will. And he, they bring it back to him, but instead of drinking it, he refuses to drink it, and he pours it out before the Lord. Verse 17, far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said, is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives, and David would not drink it? I only have one takeaway for this whole sermon. There's a few actually, but this is the one that's most applicable to us. The one takeaway I have for you and I as Christians here today is that, there are so many Davids here in this world today whose souls are thirsty, who, who are longing to be, their thirst to be quenched. And my prayer is that for you and I as people going into this season, continually going into this season of corona and this season of doubt and this, this, this whole election, this, whatever the world might bring our way, that we might be these mighty men who bring them refreshment. And there's two things I want you to notice. If you and I are going to be able to minister to the world like these three mighty men ministered to David, notice two things. Notice first their proximity to David. Surely we know that David's longing was not a command. He wasn't telling them to go get the water, but David was just expressing his anguish. He was telling them how they felt. And if you, are, you and I are going to be people who are able to minister to the world who is thirsty, we're going to have to be people who just listen to their expressions of anguish and not judge them for it. We've got to be people who empathize with them. We've got to be people who come alongside them. And perhaps this specific statement was something that literally David muttered under his breath. Maybe he had just like said it to say it in almost a complaining tone like, gosh, I just want the the water from the well of Bethlehem. And these men were close enough to David to hear it. And I pray that you and I would be exactly the same, that we'd be so close to those who are hurting. We'd be so close to those who are longing for thirst that we might be able to hear when they cry. And what I love about it is not only did they empathize but they also sought resolve they didn't just empathize with them and and come alongside them in their hurt but they also sought to resolve notice their loyalty to David loyalty is one of the great weapons that we have when it comes to winning people to Christ when it comes to pointing people to the well that brings them water that allows them to never thirst again they were literally willing to risk their lives for him. David's wish was their command. They only wanted to help their king. And even in the midst of a cave, even when it seemed like David had been defeated, they continued to fight for him. They continued to love him. They actually loved him more than they loved their own lives. That's what they were doing in going in to. The Philistine barracks. And sometimes here in this world, that's the only way the world is ever going to find refreshment. The only way the world is ever going to get a taste from the true will is that if you and I risk our lives, we go in where the enemy is in camp. Maybe they have a sin that they're dealing with. Maybe we need to call, come alongside them in this. Maybe there's, there's, there's something in their lives, some tragedy, something where the enemy is occupied, and we're going to have the people that go in and get the refreshment for them. We got to be intentional. We have to be loyal to them. We have to be committed to them we got to be willing to go the places that no one else is willing to go and in conclusion i'm actually already done with the sermon but in conclusion i wanted to think i was thinking about this specific passage think about all the things that these three men accomplished for not only the king david but also for god out of all the things, by the way, they're nameless. They're not given names. Out of all the things these men could have done, why was it this story? Out of all the stories. And we've seen other stories in scripture of, these, of the other mighty men. We have one who killed 800 men with just one spear. You have one where a man went into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. That's pretty cool. You have stories of ones that fought so long in the cold that literally, the, as even though the rest of Israel had retreated, they stayed battling, and they were battled so long that their hand literally froze to the sword. I mean, these are some of the stories we hear of David's mighty men, but the story of the three, the three mightiest, the leaders of them all. Why this one? And I believe it's because of this. See, a thousand years later, Thousands of years later, after David's time, there was a a, a historical event that took place in Bethlehem. And another well in Bethlehem was established. And one that still exists till this day. And it's the only well you and I, as Christians, will ever need. It's the one that can give us living water. One that allows us to never thirst again. And that well is Jesus Christ. That well is Jesus Christ. And not only this, not only is Jesus the well, but in the story of the Christian, he's also the mighty men. See, all of us have thirst in our lives. All of us are parched and filled with a longing from time to time. But catch catch this, when it comes to us finding fulfillment and finding the water, there are nothing that bars our way. We don't have to fight through the Philistines to get to this well because Jesus has already conquered all our Philistines. There's no water purer. There's no water freer. There's no water more satisfying. And guess what? What I love about the well and what I love about Jesus being the mighty men for us is that it works for more than just the one-time salvation. This water is good for every need and every thirst. Now, catch this. This is what blows my mind a little bit. Now, let's get to the ending again, right? This anticlimactic, if you will, ending. The reason Hollywood hasn't popularized, the reason it's not told again and again is because at the end, David doesn't even drink it. He pours it out to the Lord. And what's so cool is not only is Jesus our well, not only is he the mighty man for us who fought our enemies in order for us to draw from the well, but he is also our drink offering. He's all three things. The reason this story is told within the grand scheme of all the stories that could have been told is because Jesus is encapsulated in every part of this. He is the well. He is the one who goes and draws from the well, and he is the drink offering altogether. And if we're going to be people who get through the obstacle courses of our lives, that's the only way we're going to do it. Look at these verses here. In the New Testament, I won't have them on the screen. You can look at them on your old time, but this is John 4, verse 13. This shows to you an example where Jesus sees himself as a well. He says, everyone who drinks water from this well, he's speaking to a Samaritan woman at the well in Samaria. He says, anyone who drinks at this well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then we see The drink offering, and a drink offering was something that was made specifically within the sacrificial system. The very first one we see is in Genesis 34, verse 14. And that's right after God wrestles with Jacob and changes his name to Israel. Right when when Jacob gets an identity change, right when he is changed by God into what he was meant to become, he gives a drink offering. Now catch this. We also see it in the New Testament when Jesus is at the Last Supper. And Luke 22, verse 20, He says this. He's at the Last Supper with his, with his homies, with His disciples, and He says this. The cup which is poured out for you. There's that drink offering. This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in My blood. Jesus' death was the drink offering. It was, it was the thing which propitiated all of our sins. Basically, what that means. Is it canceled them all out. And if we really look at the story and, we, and we, we really realize the well that is in Jesus, we, we come to notice the depth, if you will. Not, I know that's funny, but the depth of the Father's love for us, how deep it goes, just like a well. That, the, that God in heaven who saw us in our sin, in our shame, could have left us there. He could have left us. If there's, if there's no other well for us to turn to, if, if, if we don't have friends to go get the well for us, if we don't have the well of the word of God in our lives, if we don't have the well uh, uh, of salvation, of, of our own salvation story, when all those things boil down, at the end of the day, you always have one well to draw from, and that is the well of the story of Jesus Christ. He has died for our sins. God sent him his own son, God in the flesh, that he, might, that he might bear our sin. A sinless man who had no reason, no right. No. Here's the thing about the gospel and what makes me, like in this world of complete injustice, which we know we all live in, we see it time and time again. So many innocent people, so many great people, so many children being hurt being victimized, being destroyed. I could never believe in a God that was outside of... I could never believe in a God that was outside of experiencing injustice. But we, Christian, we have a God that experienced the greatest, the ultimate injustice. A sinless man having to die for a sin that was not his. He died for us that we might have eternal life, that we might that we might have the sinlessness of Him in the sight of God. That is an amazing thought concept. If there's anything you can take away from every single Wells sermon series from last year and this year, is that the well of Jesus Christ, the fact, not only is He the well, but He is the mighty man. He is the one that provided it for us. And not only that, but He is also our drink offering. He is all of those things for us. That is an amazing thought. How, how deep the Father's love for us. So in closing this whole sermon series, I just want to take time to thank the Father for that, to thank Him for the ultimate will, to thank Him for, for taking care of our enemies, for, to, to thank Him for being our drink offering. Father, we're so grateful today for your word. And I just pray right now, here in this moment, Father, that in the times where we long for our old life, whether it be the life of sin or whether it be a life of comfort, God, that we could just remember that you have provided, you have provided for us the well of eternal life. You have provided for us. Thank you, Father, for how deep your love is for us. And God, I also want to pray for us as Christians that we might be these mighty men for other believers, that we might be willing to go into enemy territory, that, that we might be going into the parts of their lives that is occupied by the enemy father, that we could help draw sustenance to them, that, we could, that their wish could be our command, that we could come alongside them, that we could be their accountability partners, that we could, we could help them and inspire them. But God, we're so grateful that you were the mighty man on our behalf. You went into the camp and you brought us refreshment. You didn't bring us water that would one day let it leave, leave us thirsty again, but you've given us water that leads us to never thirst. We're thankful for that. This, the well that you are isn't just good for one-time salvation. It meets every need. It satisfies every part of us. We thank you, Father, for the new covenant you have written in your blood that you were poured out as a drink offering. God, you've changed us within the Christian realm. When we've accepted you as Savior, God, you have changed your identity just as you changed the identity of Jacob. And, and so, Father, we're grateful that, it, that, that you are our drink offering. Help us be able just to live in that. We thank you, Father, for the well that is your son, Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the mighty man that your son, Jesus, was on our behalf. And we thank you, Father, for the drink offering that was your son, Jesus. And, and just as David responded in seeing the great work of these mighty men, Father, so let us do the same for Jesus. May instead of taking the gospel for our own concerns, taking the gospel for our own benefits and for our own things in order for us to, to feel good, may we pour it back out and say, no, Lord, you are worth it all. You are worth giving my life for. This is yours. Father, help us respond in that way. Just as you were a drink offering to us, let us be a drink, Let our lives be a drink offering to you. Just as Paul says in Philippians 2, 17, that his life might be poured out as a drink offering. So Father, in response to how your, you poured your life out for us in Jesus, help us pour our lives out back to you. And God, I just want to pray for anyone who's listening. Perhaps they haven't come into a loving, right relationship with you through Jesus. I pray that today would be their day. They would just pray a prayer like this. They'd say, Father in heaven, I'm so sorry for the sin that separates me from you. But I'm so grateful today for Jesus. The fact that a sinless man, a sinless God, was born and lived a perfect life and He suffered the greatest injustice that I might get all the benefits, that I might be made right in your eyes. I, I, I thank you for that I thank you for saving me from my sins I thank you from, from saving me from this cave of Agilom God if they prayed something like that God I just thank you that based upon the authority of the word of God that you have a home in the heaven for them and I also want to pray for the Christian who, who, is, who is in their cave of Agilom right now who find themselves in the pit who find themselves in the valley who find themselves in an in a obstacle course of life where they just keep falling down and wiping out again and again and they keep trying to get back up, but they're tired and they're weary. Father, I pray that they would just come and find sustenance at the well that is Jesus Christ. That when all else fades away, they still have that to hold on to. Help us, Father. I pray for us as Christians, that we might draw out of wells for other people who are struggling. That we might come alongside the Davids in this world. That we might empathize with them. That we might feel their pain. That we might be so close to them in proximity that we hear their cry. And that we could be people who, who love them and are loyal to them so much that their wish becomes our command. And that we go into the enemy's territory. We go into the parts of their lives where the enemy is occupying them and we bring out for them, we bring out for them sustenance, Father. Help us do that in a mighty way. We're so grateful for the story and we give you thanks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.